know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 40-something. Alina assures me it's 45, and I'm inclined to believe her. Of Anglophies, in which I'm super jet-lagged, because I just got back from Sweden a day ago, and... Um, other stuff has happened, too. Like, a lot of stuff. There's a handbasket. It's on fire, and it's going to hell. Yay! I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And, uh, we're gonna start by talking about happy things. Although, although it's not that happy, because I went on my summer vacation. I went to Stockholm with Amanda from Smart Bitches. And I did not meet Crown Princess Victoria and immediately become best friends with her. So basically, it was a waste of a trip. <laughs> Apparently, they were all at their summer palace hanging out. And you out. also didn't go to the Eurovision exhibit at the ABBA Museum. I did not go to the Eurovision exhibit at the ABBA Museum. It's true. I went to like all the history museums and I saw Gust- Gustavus Adolphus's war horse that is stuffed in the royal armory that he was riding when he was killed at the Battle of Lutzen. I learned quite a lot about Swedish history that I didn't know, because everything we're taught about Swedish history here is that there were Vikings, and then some stuff happened, and then Ikea. (laughs) And that's pretty much it. (laughs) So I learned, I filled in some of that stuff in the middle there. And... Like, why my great-grandfather left when he did. Mostly because he didn't want to be conscripted into the army. Which, you know, that's fine. But it's like, oh, okay. On my grandfather's side, his father didn't want to be conscripted into the army, so he fucked off and left. And his grandmother was an illegal Baptist, so she fucked off and left. So basically, we've been difficult since the beginning. (laughs) Explains a lot, doesn't it? Awkward silence. (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah but i went to the army museum which is creepy in a different way from the imperial war museum in london because the army museum in stockholm has these life-size dioramas that you can walk around and they're not encased in glass and so like my inner six-year-old was like don't turn your back on these fucking mannequins because they're going to come to life and fucking kill you. <laughs> and they're creepy and just sort of on the edge of the uncanny valley. And I was also mostly alone with these dioramas. It was weird. <laughs> and they were aiming guns out into the middle of crowds, which I'm a little... Being an American, I'm a little wary about that right now. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, and I went to the History Museum, and that was on my first day there, and I'd been up since 5.30, so I was sort of sleepwalking through it. It was interesting. 
and I had dinner with the queen of Swedish romance, Simona Arstedt, who is a delightful person. And we talked about all sorts of things, and I still need to finish writing up that interview for Smart Bitches, which I will do later this afternoon, probably. No, I definitely will, because her, uh, her first book that is being translated into English it comes out on Tuesday, which is a great book. It's called All In, and you should all read it. <laughs> Do you even know what time zone you're in? Nope. <laughs> nope. I think I'm somewhere off the edge of Nova Scotia. Whatever one that is. I don't know what's happening right now. It's fine. Uh, the food. Because oh, I'm most food. interested in this part. Oh, okay, okay. My last night there, our, we had an Airbnb in the middle of Gamlestan, which is the oldest part of Stockholm. You know, above a square that was sort of put together in the 14th century. You know, no big deal. No big deal. The view was just horrible. It's hideous, revolting. I'm being sarcastic, Mom. And... We will link a picture of the view in the show notes so you can see how I suffered with this view. <laughs> anyway, the last, and it was a, a five story walk up. Only this is a European five story, so it was really the sixth floor. Because in America, we count one at the ground floor as opposed to the second. It's, it's very confusing, but it was five very long flights of stairs that were slippery up, no lift. Good times. Uh, my ass looks great, though. Like I told you, this recording was going to be hilarious because I was just going to ramble. But the last night I was there, I finally got some ice cream, and I had the saffron and honey ice cream that, oh my god, it changed my life. And now I need to get my roommate, who makes ice cream, to recreate this so I can have it all the time. It was really good. Amanda and I went to dinner at a restaurant that does medieval food which was pretty good it was you know expensive and it was a lot of food for two people they had on the menu like which cookbooks they used and i asked if they could give me an idea of which specific recipes they were using because they were all cookbooks i was familiar with but none of them i actually own and the server came back and she's like She's holding a book and she said, well, the cook is, you know, he's really busy because it's, you know, Saturday night. But he said he had four copies of this book and this is a book that they use a lot of his recreations from. And he's got like four. So he said you could have this one. It's in Swedish. I don't know if that's going to do you much good. And I'm like, I can do food words. It's fine. I can totally do food (laughs) words. (laughs) So that was awesome. And that will be... A uh, post about that will be on Smart Bitches on July 2nd, whatever next Saturday is. Do you know the first dish you're going to try? Have you picked one already? Oh, no, no. I mean, I'm going to be writing about the food we ate there. Oh, okay. At the restaurant. And I mean, it was mostly like medieval inspired that they, you know, altered for modern taste so people would actually pay money for this and could be cooked in bulk in modern kitchens and all that but the rabbit stew with saffron was really really good and it was like no this flavor profile is absolutely correct and the dessert was a a berry crumble with almond whipped cream which is really good it was super good 
Do you notice how anytime anybody uses the words flavor profile, they automatically sound like they know what they're talking about? Like, I'm yes. a professional <laughs> in the kitchen. Yes, that's, that's, that's why I used it. It really makes me look like I, I know shit. I don't know if I know shit. I don't know when I am. <laughs> yeah, so we had, I mean, Swedish, traditional Swedish food is a lot of meat with some sauce and potatoes. It's really, you really can't go wrong there. You really can't go wrong there. Um, unless the first night we were there, I had a, a plank steak that was, you know, overcooked. And that was kind of sad. But it also really didn't matter because <laughs> I had been traveling for 18 hours at that point and I <laughs> gotten maybe two and a half hours of sleep. So that was fun. Yeah, but it was a great trip. And I took the, the boat to the island of Burka to see the Viking Museum there. The museum itself was kind of disappointing, and their Viking village didn't have any living history interpreters in it. It was just sort of some buildings, and here you go. But I did some hiking and saw some sheep and definitely did some ill-advised climbing on rocks. I did a lot of ill-advised climbing on rocks, and I went to Drottningholm Palace, which is the home of the current king and queen, they were not there because they were in their summer palace. And I dunked my feet in one of the king's fountains because it was hot and my feet really, really hurt. And nobody said I couldn't. And it was far enough away from the guards that they couldn't see me. And then I pulled my feet out of the fountain and skedaddled. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, I have pictures of my feet in the fountain. They're still on my camera. You, you kept photographic evidence of the crime. Of course it did. I'm an American now. I have rights. <laughs> One thing to remember if you are an American traveling in Sweden is that they do not believe in large-sized coffee cups, which is very annoying if you're used to more than eight ounces of coffee at a time. Like, to say, wake up. Look, there is portions and sizes, and then there's what Americans have. Yes, and we're very used to what we have. This you don't how- offer portions, you offer challenges. Yes, exactly. And I expect to be able to continue to indulge in those challenges when I am traveling. Thank you very much. Fortunately, the Espresso House coffee shop chain does have large size coffee cups that you can go to. Their cinnamon rolls aren't quite as good as Broad and Salt. But, you know, you take your trade-offs as you will. So that's what, that was my summer vacation. And I'm home now. The pictures were lovely. The pictures, yeah. I, I, I got an Instagram just for the whole purposes. And my mom is also on Instagram now, which is very cute. And my suitcase made it home today, finally. It got stuck in Iceland due to a malfunction at the airport. So Christmas is saved. And also apparently something, something cheese. Something, something cheese. Yes. (laughs) Not going to talk about the cheese on air. I smuggled in some cheese. It's not important. (laughs) Now you're just, you know, giving yourself over the evidence in case you have to take away for smuggling. (laughs) Right. I smuggled in a pound of cheese from... You're practically Carmen Sandiego at this point. (laughs) Basically. International woman of mystery. That yes, right. 
how I was misrepresenting my knowledge of Swedish in both directions. <laughs> because, like, you know, I I can do basic greetings. Hi, thank you. And I can order food, more or less. Uh, my accent's terrible. But I was in line at the History Museum to get lunch, and there was a an American family behind me and they were like, wait, how do you, how do you order this? How do you order that? How do I don't even know how to pronounce this. And I'm like, it's fucking pancakes. <laughs> you pronounce it pancakor. That's, and they're like, Oh, great. So, you know, Swedish. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and other times, like when I walked into the army museum and the guy at the counter greeted me and I said, hey, which is hi. And he rattled off a whole bunch of Swedish and I was like, mm, we, we've already gone past all the Swedish I know. <laughs> I can say hi. <laughs> so I was too tired to try and figure anything else out. But they thought you were one of their own. They accepted you into the tribe. Well, I mean, they should. I'm three-eighths one of them. It's like a radar. They, they just know. Yeah. Well, there there is definitely kind of a Swedish face that you, uh, you can look at people. I look at people and I'm like, no, I went to, you know, I grew up with people like you in my church. So. Mm-hmm. And I think there's enough of the non-Swedish parts of my ancestry in my face that they kind of look at me and go, eh. I mean, mostly, maybe. And then they look at my last name and go, oh, no, you're clearly American, because that is Swedish, but it's spelled wrong. (laughs) And we lost an umlaut going across the ocean, so. The umlaut's like the first victims of immigration. Pretty much, yeah. Me, on the other hand, I gained a whole bunch of letters immigrating, because Americans apparently don't bother spelling out sounds they make. (laughs) They throw four letters together and say, ah, that'll work. Yes. What? I I don't even know what you're saying. I'm sorry. (laughs) Of course, I just found out from reading Go Fug Yourself that uh, apparently in a state that's pronounced Chumley has five or six syllables written out that aren't said. There was a Farney Fisher book that was very confusing to me until they actually explained it in dialogue. (laughs) There was like a pronunciation and spelling and some of those, like, okay, until I watched, there's that Netflix show, I'll link the, the History of Castles. Mm-hmm. Until I watched that episode, I did not realize that Beecham and Beauchamp were the same last name. The only reason I know that is because it comes up in Outlander. That is the only reason I know that. But you're right. It's ridiculous. Kaylee, can you explain this British thing to us? Which part specifically? <laughs> the the whole thing where you just don't pronounce all your letters. <laughs> I'm not sure I really need um, any Americans taking the model high ground. You guys don't even pronounce aluminium correctly. <laughs> you know, the Scottish way is just to drop as many syllables as possible. Mm-hmm. Never to pronounce a T if you can help yourself. And really just kind of yell at a consistently loud volume. So, 
I'm sure there's a great rich history of the linguistics of that, but I, yeah, I struggled to speak proper English most of the time anyway, so <laughs> now we may be speaking a different language soon anyway, who knows. Ooh. Right, well, well, you know Scottish Gaelic, right? You'll be fine. I did a year of it and I was terrible. Well, no. I can you a have... pint of beer in a pub. That, that's really all you need to know, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, you also need to know how to tell somebody to fuck off. Oh, you can just say fuck off. Fuck works off in every language. Right. Oh, and there's that whole list of things that the Scottish people were calling Donald Trump. Oh, it was beautiful. Oh, Oh, it was beautiful. Fuck Gibbon was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, as from me to all of Scotland, thank you. You know what the weirdest thing about this weekend has been? Donald Trump was in Scotland and it was only like the fourth or fifth saddest, weirdest thing going on at the time. (laughs) The Prime Minister has resigned, or he will resign in three months, and that wasn't even the top story. Yeah. And I could take no joy in that. For those of you who missed it, uh, Britain decided to commit political suicide and vote to leave the European Union. So, you know, no free trade across the continent, no free travel across the continent, millions and millions lost in funding for health, education, STEM research, travel, you know, culture and the arts. The British film industry is mostly funded by the EU, but, you know, sovereignty or some bullshit like that. There's so many things to, like, talk, like, it's such... It's so big. Do we start with the 350 million pounds claim but also the way they backpedal from it the morning after the vote oh christ yeah so the two camps were the remain campaign to stay in the european union and the leave campaign the remain campaign contained the vast majority of the labor party about 30 40 percent of conservative party all the lib dems the smp they had most of the like major establishment support including the prime minister and the chancellor of the exchequer george osborne the leave side had boris johnson who, if you don't know, is an albino Labrador who stands upright um, and is basically our Donald Trump. And I don't think he gets described enough as such. And he really is. He built up a reputation as the sort of bumbling P.G. Wodehouse character politician. You know, harmless was how he built his reputation. Uh, Even though at one point he uh, was caught on tape offering to take care of a friend who wanted him to get a hitman for someone even though he has written multiple articles full of racist slurs including pickaninnies and watermelon jokes Mm. even though as mayor of London he increased policies that led to drastic increase in poverty increase in cost of housing and rents making it basically so that the only people that can live in London are Russian billionaires. The, the, the portion of property in central London, London owned by like Russian and Georgian billionaires is, it's gone up like two, 300%, I think. None of this mattered because, oh, he's so bumbling and he's got silly hair and oh, isn't he funny? And it was like, no. I mean, I'm not a Londoner, mm-hmm. but... This was something that felt, you know, kind of obvious to me. But I know so many people, even in Scotland, who are like, oh, he seems like a right laugh. He seems like a lad. hate that word. So he joined the Leave side. He is now an MP. He's not mayor of London anymore because London now have a much better mayor, Sadiq Khan. He's a delight. He's so small and wonderful. He's great. He's the first 
Muslim mayor of a major metropolitan city. And the election for that race, it was basically a two-man race between him and the Tory candidate, Zach Goldsmith. Zach Goldsmith spent years building up his reputation as the nice Tory. He has a lot of very friendly pro-green policies, for instance. He was, you know, the good-looking, environmentally friendly Tory, even though he comes from one of the richest families in the country, the Goldsmiths, Mm. the banking heirs. His entire campaign against Sadiq Khan was basically, don't vote for him because he's Muslim. And I'm not even joking. He sent leaflets around predominantly Hindu areas saying that Sadiq Khan was going to take away all their wedding jewellery. Yeah. Um, Basically, it was a lot of, you know, I'm not saying that he's radical, but, you know, he is Muslim and he does seem to share platforms with his people. The worst one was he said... You know, this is the man who fought against the British government to, you know, get compensation for hardened criminals. And it was like, well, he was a human rights lawyer. That was his job. <laughs> right. He was actually an incredibly successful human rights lawyer. He fought very hard for immigration rights, particularly for Muslims. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind how large an immigrant and Muslim population London has. So you're basically going around telling them, you know, your vote and your presence in the city is worthless because... It's the e- easier for the Tories to drum up hate. Yeah. And it backfired massively. But the thing is, it's backfired in a way that it hit just Zach Goldsmith. It didn't hit David Cameron, who was exacerbating all of these claims. It didn't hit Boris Johnson, who was doing it even further. They've just, they've got their scapegoat now. So, you know, not that I give a shit about Zach Goldsmith. What he did was horrible. Even his own sister was on Twitter saying, I didn't like that campaign. That's not the brother I know. Like, even when your mm-hmm. sister is throwing you in the shit. Right? Right. So we saw that and we thought, oh, well, maybe things are going to turn around. And then you get Boris Johnson on the Leave campaign along with Nigel Farage, who's leader of the UK Independence Party, who are the big racist party. Mm -hmm. Basically, his entire campaign was the immigrants are coming over here and taking all our money, which statistically is untrue. But the campaign was so toxic and so uninformed it didn't matter there was a legitimately statistics to show that this was the most uninformed electorate the any election has had in a long time mm-hmm. the right-wing press were primarily very very pro leave the eu for no reason other than keep repeating the phrase take back control of our country which is just the most awful dog whistle jingoism isn't it yes i mean it's the shit that donald trump is spewing yes So this ended up leading to, you may have heard, the horrific assassination of a Labour Party MP, Joe Cox, who was shot three times in the head and stabbed and beaten by a member of British First, who are the fascist movement here. And it took a week for that woman's death to turn into a pawn. And the pawn was mostly a reasonably benign you know we should all be more civil to each other but it ended up turning into we should all be nicer to politicians and we shouldn't throw around things like you're racist even when you're being obviously racist Mm -hmm. and the leave campaign were horrifically racist they kept talking about floods of people coming from romania and bulgaria they kept talking about you know we'll we'll all drown under this and they appealed to the areas where fear of immigration is highest but actual immigration numbers are lowest which I understand is a pretty common thing in America too. Mm-hmm. So the vote comes in and it looked like it was going to be a Remain win. Yeah. Like tight, 
but it was going to wake up. That's how it looked when I went to bed at about midnight Swedish time. That was how it looked. And then the numbers started pouring in. And it was clear that that wasn't going to happen. So they ended up winning by about one and a half million votes. And it was stung particularly in Scotland because every single constituency in Scotland voted primarily to remain. Mm -hmm. Literally every single one. Not a single one had a leave majority. That is says a lot, I think, about the way that Scottish nationalism differs from English nationalism. Mm-hmm. English nationalism is, is imperialism. That's what it is. It's yearning to be back to the days of colonising. That's right. I, I'm, I'm convinced that's why Boris Johnson was part of that campaign, because he's really sad he didn't get to be, like, the King Leopold of the 21st century. And the morning the vote was announced, it wasn't even 10 o'clock in the morning. And Nigel Farage went on British... TV, Good Morning Britain, it's like our Good Morning America with Piers Morgan Mm -hmm. Uh, and basically admitted that the biggest claim they made, the one they put on all the posters the one they put on the side of the buses that we send £350 million a day to the EU and that it would be spent on the NHS, he admitted it was a lie we had another MP come out say that they wouldn't be able to control immigration even out of the EU so there was another claim that it was a lie and then one MEP, who's basically the most Eurosceptic racist fuckwit in the Tory party in the European Parliament, admitted, well, we would still like to do free trade across the European Union, but out of the EU. So that one was another <laughs> lie. And Was he the I- same asshole that was like, well, I don't care about the value of the pound because I get paid in euros? That might have been him. This is a guy who keeps going on Sean Hannity's show talking about how terrible the NHS is. Uh-huh. It's that kind of fuckwit. So you had it all admitted, not only did they basically lie out of their arses for this entire horrific, toxic, literally killer campaign, but they didn't have a plan for leaving. And the European Union and Commission have basically said, okay, we call your bluff. Yeah. Basically, get out. Mm-hmm. They are the ex-wife on the top of the stairs with all your clothes. They are Angela Bassett and waiting to exhale, setting all your shit on fire. And we're going up. Which has, of course, led to Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister of Scotland, saying, okay, we're going to go for a second referendum. It has led to Martin McGuinness in Northern Ireland saying, okay, we're going to try push forward to unite with the rest of Ireland. Mm -hmm. The Spanish government have offered to take back Gibraltar. Yeah. So we are fast-tracked on our way to a cross between Children of Men and Madamax Fury Road. And it's become very clear that the next Prime Minister of the country is probably going to be Boris Johnson because David Cameron has stepped down and he'll be gone in three months. I can't get over this because I don't know why Boris wants it other than because he feels entitled to it. He's never done anything good or productive or even interesting really with the power that he has. All he has done is accumulate power to get better PR, which gives him more power, which gives him more PR. Being Prime Minister requires like, you know, People will hold you to account. Mm-hmm. He wants to run a country and basically run it like he's host of a TV show. So there's no guarantee that he will be prime minister. I think he will be because who wants to be the sacrificial lamb to get that job out of all mm-hmm. the Tory MPs? The, sa- the really, really ambitious ones will wait until this guy or maybe women fucks up. Right. Well, I am seeing mutterings of the the Tory going, yeah, uh, we can't let this happen. 
Well, basically, the stench of regret is in the air, mostly amongst the positions of power. But you ha- I have already seen way too many articles on think piece clickbait websites basically saying, oh, I thought I was just waiting for a protest, but I didn't really want this. I'm just like, oh. right. Yeah, we should talk about that. Because the the morning after the vote, there were all these, like, you know, interview on the person on the street person going, I'm so scared. I mean, I voted leave, but I didn't think... But I didn't mean it. In democracy, you play with live ammo. What did you think was going to happen? Right. Yeah, so no offense, America, but all of the Bernie Sanders voters who say they're going to vote Trump just to spite Hillary Clinton, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Go fuck yourself, seriously. Because my future is irrevocably fucked, possibly, because... This may get vetoed, we don't know, but the amount that the pound plunged, there was a point during the evening where the votes were being counted where the money of Zimbabwe was worth more. Yeah. It had just sunk to that. And the stench of people saying, oh, well, you know, this is just people trying to incite fear. You know, we're strong enough. We'll pull up our bootstraps and go for it. And it's like, I'm sorry, this isn't the days of colonization we don't you know own half the planet and i'm sorry that you missed that but that was a horrific thing that we did it isn't something to admire like it was sad because there are members of my family that voted leave and it didn't matter how many times i said things like you know well a friend of mine is doing her phd it's funded by the eu she won't be able to do that anymore mm-hmm. there are still thousands of people who are in the country who won't be able to do that there are more immigrants working for the nhs than there are claiming benefits in the uk they'll all go we're just going to lose so much, and it didn't. She didn't care, right? Because it was about because blah 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 sovereignty, blah 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 sovereignty, blah 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 immigration. So that was all it is. And we've already heard of countless instances of xenophobic attacks rising over the weekend yep. alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is horrific to me because it's like watching a dystopian novel unfold. And I don't say that as hyperbole. No, like I can make the Immortan Boris joke, but. Mm-hmm. It feels real, and it's particularly strange up in Scotland. I'm angry that as someone who very proudly voted no to independence and who doesn't like nationalism in any form, I'm angry that I'm going to have to be put in the position again of voting potentially for an independent Scotland, which is no guarantee of political safety for Scotland. There's no guarantee Scotland will get back into the EU. Right. And it would, if we did, it would mean taking on the euro, and that's not something that most Scots are happy with probably be worth more than the pound right now but magic beans are worth more than the pound right now Hmm. i'm I'm angry that we've had to be put back into that because it was such a nasty toxic race and i've got so many people on my feet who voted yes and i respect that you know make your decision but they seem to be waiting around for all of us who voted no to change our minds so that they can rub it in Mm -hmm. which makes me really sad because like this isn't about moral superiority this is supposed to be about helping one another you know the idealized version of democracy whatever but the thing Even practically most... speaking, that shouldn't yeah. be too hard to ask for. That's the thing that's most frustrating is that so many of the people who I've seen are like, no, no, I voted leave, I voted leave, are clearly in the, well, I got mine. Yeah. It's the baby boomer syndrome. Like, and... That's what it is. And it stuns me that this seems to happen in every country. Right. I know that you know, history tends to show that as you get older, you get more conservative. And I'm like, yeah, because that is just you going, well, I got mine, so I don't need to help anyone else out. But that's how the, I don't understand why people are so fucking selfish. 
the thing is, I won't even get to be a selfish arsehole in my old age anymore because of this. I won't have the money for it. No. You don't want to know how much the value is shaved off the money I spent saving two years. Yeah. There was a fact uh, after the vote that said uh, because of the drop in the value of the pound, people lost more money that Britain has put into the EU over like the last yeah. 15 years. Nine years we or lost, so. We lost more than we lost in the crash of 2008. Yep. Yeah. I saw a friend of a friend saying, my husband works for a British company. He gets paid in the pound. We just took a major pay cut today. Oh. And other people saying, I'm studying in Europe. And suddenly the money that I had saved and socked away for my rent and my food is now no longer going to cover it because the pound is worth so much less. Yeah. I mean, I'm secure enough. I don't have a job. I my savings have I've lost a lot of value, mm-hmm. but I live at home. Right. I'm. I mean, I'll be stuck here a little longer, probably a lot longer, mm-hmm. uh, closer to thirty than twenty. Uh, but you know, that is one thing. That's mostly a personal irritation than a real kind of pain. Right. But it sucks to be told, you know, to do the things that you're told to do for your entire life. You know. To study hard, to go to university, to do internships and volunteering and part-time work. And, you know, if you go home, you can save a little more money and buy your own place and do all these things and find out it doesn't mean jack shit. And you're still going to get called entitled for it. Right. Because of this vote, I don't, I think we should put a bloody moratorium on the selfish, lazy, entitled millennial stereotype. Get rid of it. I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to see anymore sneering about trigger warnings or no platforming because we have done far more to save this than any of you arseholes, you know? So yeah, contentious money relations right now. It is really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's getting harder as well. Um, David Cameron seems to have gone missing. We haven't heard from him in a couple of days. George Osborne hasn't been heard since the vote started. Who's George Osborne? For? The Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's okay. the one that sort of stands around with his mouth open looking like he's about to belch a couple of bees out every all the time right yes he yeah. is the one who was briefly implicated in a cocaine and hooker scandal that sounds but legit. they didn't hurt him i mean he didn't do the pig fucking so you know but he will be very divisive within the tory party right now but there's already rumblings that he wants the top job if you thought david cameron was posh george osborne is posh or george osborne is basically if bertie wooster was a dick what, did he fuck the pig while it was still alive? Is that how you <laughs> No, um, he's the heir to a very large wallpaper fortune, which may be one of the most English sentences I've ever said. Yep. <laughs> um, but we haven't heard from him, and the Labour Party, the party I'm a member of, is currently in crises because all of the members of the Shadow Cabinet are quitting one after the other in order to get the leader, Jeremy Corbyn, to resign. Why? Which, what? Okay. Because they blame him for not getting the vote, even though in his constituency, it was 70% remain vote. Like, he's the most left-wing leader they've had in a long time. He's even more left-wing than Bernie Sanders, actually. And there's a lot of people in the Labour Party who aren't that left-wing, and they see him as unelectable. I wish he was the stronger leader in certain elements, but you have to understand the, the amount of embracing of immigrant-stoking jingoism that all parties did, including the Labour Party, for a long time, even under someone like Ed Miliband, who I really like, and I still really like, but he put in that whole, we'll put controls and immigration bullshit, and it it was stoking a fire that is already burning through the roof. 
it's the exacerbating of jingoism for short-term political gain that has led to this long-term irrevocably toxic mess that we're in. And I fear that if Jeremy Corbyn does step down, a man who has been very open about wanting to accept more Syrian refugees, about wanting to combat this really nasty rhetoric, if he goes and there's another leadership election, I fear people will go running back to the centre and all the candidates will be like, well, you know, it's not racist to be concerned about immigration. It's like, well, it is racist if it's based on lies. And as we've seen statistically speaking, this debate has been based on lies for about 20 years. So if that happens, I will probably quit the party, which I'm also pissed off about because I I don't feel like I should have to. Mm -hmm. But after almost a year of being a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn, a supporter of a more left-wing Labour Party, and being told, get in line, don't speak out against the party, we need to create an image of you know cooperation and community and standing arm-in-arm together solidarity. After years of that, and then finally getting a left-wing leader and having them all just rush, not even to stab him in the back, but in the front, and then expect to go back to the other way, that is... that stinks. And I don't think I can sit around for that, and I don't think that I can sit and support a return to policies that in many ways will not be that different from David Cameron's Tory party. Mm-hmm. So I actually had a few questions for you. Maybe we could do a little politics 101 for people <laughs> whose systems of government are very different. So oh, right now, first question is, are the the Tories, are they a majority government right now? Or minority? Yes. They were a coalition government with the Liberal Democrats who are like a centrist party. You know, centrist in terms of economics, but more liberal in terms of social liberties. Right. Very similar to the Canadian Liberals that way. They got slaughtered in the polls last year. Mm-hmm. And the Tories were the ones that cleaned up. And Labour were hurt significantly by the fact that the Scottish National Party essentially took over the entire country. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a two-party system. Obviously, we have more more similar to Canada. Right. And it makes for more variety in your choice, but it's much more difficult to really it kind of get... It votes a lot if you have a first-past-the-post type elections. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and that means that your majority government only has, what, like, 30-something percent? 33, I believe. Yeah. 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 It is a hard system. David Cameron pushed himself as being modern, compassionate, very centre-right conservatism. But his policies have been very further to the right. But the thing is, because of something like UKIP, they get to seem like the sensible alternative. Uh And, you know, it's hard to combat that. They also have, um, well, David Cameron's friends with Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) He has more friends in the right-wing press. It's sad that they have to kowtow to the press in that way because Ed Miliband did try it while he was leader of the Labour Party and he still got the most horrific personal abuse directed at him about his appearance, about his family, about his dad in particular and a lot of it was just reeked of anti-Semitism So now that Demi Cameron is going to resign within a few months so this is going to be very different to for example the Americans were like well if something, but he, if something happened and the president stepped down there'd be an election. There's not going to be an election. The party chooses a new leader Yeah, Which is Boring, right? <laughs> That's terrifying. Happened, um, after Tony Blair stepped down, Gordon Brown became Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. And the big battle that the Tories did was, why should you support this unelected leader? But they're about to do it themselves. It's Because it's how the parliamentary system works. 
But it's going to be really hard for a lot of people to accept whatever Tory candidate they bring, because the options are bleak. George Osborne will be a favourite. Michael Gove, who is Justice Minister, an odious little creep. He's very, he was one that instituted the academy system in the education system in England and Wales, which basically meant that local authorities like councils don't have control over schools. The schools themselves have the power, which meant that anyone could start up their own school, hmm. including, as we have seen, very religious right radicals and incredibly archaic, you know, back to ye good old days, private school systems. And there's no accountability for how well those schools do, but they get a lot of money and they get a lot more money than local authorities. So it's a hugely unpopular policy that basically 98% of teachers or something in England oppose. You also have people like, well, Boris Johnson's obviously going to run. Theresa May, who's Home Secretary, who has supported basically, you know, bus all the immigrants home increase power for the police that everyone mistrusts. But because she's a woman, it's feminist. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure who else will step up. I think they might try and push one of the like the young go-getters because they want a sacrificial lamb. They want someone to make way for when it's a bit safer for them to you know, really embrace the right wing. Because here's what's actually happening. So kind of, I'm collecting all the facts I've read all around the internet. Now, this referendum is not legally binding. Therefore, the government legally has no obligation to actually do what the referendum said. However, the European Union, kind of the large players in it, got together and turned to the UK and said, go ahead, here's the door. Don't let it hit you in the ass on the way out. Here's the door, trigger Article 50. Right. Article 50 is the, I guess, law, you could say, uh, which triggers, which officially triggers the UK exit, and it gives it a two-year deadline. The moment they trigger Article 50, they have two years to negotiate it. So... The European Union said, go ahead, trigger Article 50. So the, all the politicians who were leading the charge on the Leave vote are saying things like, well, no, the, this period of unofficial negotiations is very important and we shouldn't rush into anything. And really, I don't see any need. Yeah, it yeah. became really clear that the Leave side didn't expect to win and really just wanted to be a protest vote. Mm-hmm. But when you've spent years and years, and keep in mind, this is a very long time, stoking that kind of anti-immigrant sentiment, anti-European sentiment about the loony laws in Brussels and, you know, a f- fundamental misunderstanding of what the European Parliament does. That's how people like the British National Party and UKIP have so many seats in Europe, because they can pretend that they're standing up against Brussels when all they do is collect a lot of money and not actually do their job. Nigel Farage has been an MEP for a long time. He's on the fisheries committee. Fishing is a huge part of the industry in Britain, particularly Scotland. He attended something like 5% of meetings, but he'll still go on television and rant about how Brussels, you know, quotas are ruining the British fishing industry. I was like, well, do something about it. You're literally on the committee. The amount of power that man wields when he is just so ineffectual and so narcissistic is astounding to me. So this is a problem. The protest vote has now become the establishment vote. And Mm -hmm. it's clear that they don't have a plan. There was one Tory MP who went on Sky News today and bless Faisal um, Islam, who was the presenter, the look on his face as it was going on. The CMP basically admitted, we don't have a plan. (laughs) I mean, it would be hilarious. It would be an amazing thick of it episode if it wasn't our lives that were on the line here. Mm -hmm. But all they said was, you know, we shouldn't have to be the ones that have a plan. The British government should have been prepared for this situation. What? And David Cameron has essentially oh, said, I'm going sake. in three months, sort it out yourselves. I Pretty mean, 
Cameron's a coward to the end, but on this side, I would be doing the same as well. I would just be sitting in the commons bar with a bottle of champagne saying, oh, enjoy yourselves. Right. Which commons bar? There's like seven. There's 19. I, I took a tour. <laughs> <laughs> There's 19 bars in the House of Commons. Right. So that I is saw, that kind I of I saw myth. somebody saying, Cam- they'd overheard Cameron saying, why should I have to deal with this yeah, shit? basically. I mean, have you seen the front pages as well? It's him giving his resignation speech and his poor wife is standing next to him. That woman looks like her life is flashing before her eyes. Yeah. Nicole Cliff from The Toast had the great line. She says, David Cameron looks like a man who knows exactly what the first line of his obituary is going to be. Yep. So, I mean, in one hand, it is amazing political spectacle. On the other but, you know, hand, if this was happening in France, like... I would probably be laughing a little bit. It was TV producer Dan Harmon who had a tweet that said, we are now in the factors leading up to paragraph before your history textbooks gets all flaggy and arrowy. Yes. Yep. Um, as one person on Twitter put it, this Black Mirror episode is a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it is, I mean, I could probably rant about this for days. The reason I managed to cope with it as well as I did was after I had my cry in the morning and I cried a lot. Um, mm. my, I had to go to my cousin's wedding, so that cheered me up significantly. Right. My cousin got married. Oh, it was really sweet. And I cried a lot. And there was Congratulations. Alcohol. You looked great. Oh, I did. With your adorable little fascinator. Do you see the picture of me with my dad? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my dad. You should see the amount of selfies my dad took. Aw. And he was wearing a kilt. First time in 25 years. <laughs> it was a great day. We, we scrub up well. But it, it was one of those things where... If, when you were in the hotel where the, the, the uh, reception was taking place, you had to walk past a big TV that was showing BBC and Sky News. Mm-hmm. So every now and then you just get this, you know, see the forlorn expression on some poor politician's face. And I was like, oh, screw you. You're the one that started this. Yeah. So it is tough. It's going to be hard to watch, particularly from Scotland, because I think that this is just going to encourage far more Scottish nationalist sentiment, which is a very different kind of nationalism, but it's not. It's less imperialist it's less focused on hatred of immigrants Mm -hmm. but it is rooted in a similar kind of like you know rah rah freedom from the evil establishment thing which is just so unfounded in terms of reality right i'm not looking forward to the mess but it will as i said be an excellent mad max sequel and fuck boris johnson except don't do that don't do not no lots of women fuck boris johnson he's had so many affairs Ew. He's allegedly oh. paid for a lot of abortions. Like I know that power is a thing for a lot of people. I like Justin Trudeau as much as the next woman, but okay, but that's not just because of the power, though. Because hello, no, that's just because he seems like a sound dude, a sound dude who's also super hot. Yes, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. There was a moment where my dad asked me, "So if leave wins, which country are you going to move to?" And my mom says, "Is it the one with the hot prime minister?" <laughs> really well, Canada. Is happy to welcome. Well, I told you, I did tell you that you could come live with me, so that's fine. Although it would probably be easier to emigrate to Canada because it's a Commonwealth country. Also, your country might be going to hell the headbasket too. We don't know yet. I don't know. I was just trying to be nice. You know, I think Hillary Clinton's going to do really well because she's giving away Hamilton tickets at a fundraiser. Right. She's got this race locked down. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Where did she get that kind of pull? <laughs> Well, Lin-Manuel Miranda, isn't he performing at the DNC? I believe so. Why he's got clout? I've seen these hilarious headlines about the Trump campaign recently. One is uh, he's pulling in historically low levels of money because people are like, well, he's rich, he doesn't need it. Did you hear about the the Sterling Draper thing? Yes. 
that's still super weird. And the amount of money they spent on hats. <laughs> yes. Isn't that Everybody just a Everybody knows you need lawn signs. Lawn signs are what win elections. I yeah no like this this election just gets weirder and weirder as we go on. So like yeah. and also I recently read an article that said all of the usual Republican political operatives none of them want to work for him. He's having trouble staffing the campaign. Well yeah. Well would you want to work there except for comedic value? Yeah. <laughs> work there and work on my book. <laughs> and his former campaign manager, who's just got sacked, is now a political commentator for CNN, what? except if he signed the contract that Trump's campaign was requiring all staffers to sign, he can't actually be critical of Donald Trump. Keep in mind, this is also the guy who physically grabbed and injured a woman. Yeah. So CNN are doing a bang-up job. Definitely. Definitely. Does the MSNBC hire, like, Cruz's campaign manager? Because MSNBC's big election campaign advertising this year is basically, you're going to think that we've turned Republican, because there's so many right-wingers now in our show, and it's just like... Yeah. Do you, like, look at yourself... On the bright side, if you guys do all survive it, it's going to make an amazing sequel to Game Change. That book yes. is going to be like 4,000 pages long. It's true. It's I've true. watched that miniseries. I've got a theory that Anna Gasteyer from Saturday Night Live should play Heidi Cruz. Yes. That's good casting. That's definitely good casting. And just get Larry David for Sanders again. Yep. Stick with it, you know? It seems to be working. Yeah. God, we've got three more months of this shit. No, we don't. We have five. Four? Your elections never half. end. Five. They never end. Well, four and a half. Okay. They never end. But the weekend after the election is when I have a, ha- a ticket to Hamilton. And I also have a ticket the next night to see Dangerous Liaisons with Liev Ooh. Schreiber. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Boom. So. Before we move off, I actually had questions. Like, listeners send me told me questions for Kaylee about <laughs> I have a friend who listens to our show and you know we do discuss politics here but his position was that perhaps here in Canada we're a little more used to having minority governments than in the UK that's probably the case yeah and would that's why and we ended up never having a coalition where you know UK have coalition governments do, do you think that's true you think the UK voters are kind of skeptical of minority governments I think after this most recent coalition, they certainly are. Mm. It's a little different than Scotland. We have a different system where we have not only electing your M- MSPs, but you have the list system. So you vote twice on the ballot. You vote for the candidate you want, and then you vote for the party with the list member. So if someone falls ill or steps down, instead of having a by-election, they'll just take them from the list. Mm-hmm which actually hindered the SNP this year. The SNP became a minority government as a result. The bad news was the party that benefited was the Tories, who became the second biggest party in Scotland. So every time I hear this, well, Scotland are naturally more progressive. And I was like, no. (laughs) like They may be Scottish Tories, but they're still Tories. But the Scottish Tories have a weirdly popular reputation here. Their leader, Ruth Davidson, was the first openly gay woman to lead a British political party. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and she's so super cool and she talks about going on nights out on Twitter and she writes quad bikes and things and she supports a really regressive welfare system. But, you know, she's cool. So, we're actually a very fascinating system in Scotland right now. Three major parties are led by women, two of whom are gay. So, like, there is that kind of progressive front, but the first past post system should really be replaced. It's such a wasteful system. And people say, well, my vote doesn't count. And it's like, well, this is one of the reasons that you feel like it doesn't count. And I really feel like we should just never have referendums again. Referendums are such a wasteful, pointless, deliberately divisive way to do democracy. And they certainly shouldn't be simple majority. For something this big, Yeah, you, you really should be calling for at least a two-thirds yeah that's that's a weird like because the referendum was really close so you're like well it was in percentages it was something like 48 52 right like you said yeah. there's only 1.2 million but out of the millions that voted and i mean there was a 72 percent turnout and it's like this just feels like does half the country to get to tell the other country like no we're gonna plunge us into a recession on an issue like this i feel like and i'm not usually a proponent of it but i feel like the vote should be mandatory yeah like, even if you wanted to go and draw a cock and balls over your ballot paper, go do it. But you should have been forced into the ballot box. And I think you should have been allowed to vote if you were 16 and 17, because the Scottish referendum did that, and David Cameron didn't want it this time, and I feel he now regrets that. Yeah. Because by and large, by about 70%, 25 and under voted to remain. Mm-hmm. The killer vote came from 65 and over, because yeah. more of them turn out to the ballot box, which is the way it's always been done, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Well, speaking of what we're talking about, first past supposed to be being difficult system because Trudeau's liberals ran on the one of their campaign promises was we're going to look into electoral reform, and the uh, they've put together a commission like it's slowly but surely going ahead. So they're putting together a commission, and the liberals, the ruling party, have actually given up a majority on it. But the commission is going to end up of, comprised of members from all the parties who are currently represented in Parliament. That includes Bloc Québécois and the Green Party. I'm going to find and link it in show notes for anybody who is interested because there are currently multiple kind of front-running alternatives, but they, the Conservatives and Liberals kind of support different ones. And uh, possibly there's talks of how, well, this is an issue that Canada needs to go on a referendum for, even though the general polling shows that electoral reform is fairly popular with the people of Canada. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that in a couple of years. I'm really interested in the Canadian system. I've watched an awful lot of Canadian election coverage because it's on YouTube. And Canadian accents are just generally quite soothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to watch other people's politics unfold when it's nice, you know? Mm. So I will report back from the wasteland if it begins to, you know, sink into the ocean or whatever. Right. I feel like if we must go for some sort of apocalyptic system, we may as well go for Mad Max. Although with rising water levels, we might get Waterworld. I don't know. Oh, God. There was a really terrible movie about one... Um, an instance where the entirety of Scotland was put under quarantine due to some sort of, I think, zombie virus or something. And basically everyone in Scotland turned into rowdy, drunk redheads. I was like, uh, I mean, consistency, we can work with that. Yeah. A part of worse plans. So yeah, no, I, I know Americans don't like being lectured to on politics. Can you please vote for Hillary Clinton? Right. Because honestly, there, there's already uh, someone's put up a mural of the Titanic poster, but it's Boris and Trump. <laughs> oh, God. And before we end this political discussion, I would like to 
wish a hearty congratulations to the Scottish woman who followed Trump around Ayrshire with a sign that said Trump is a cunt. <laughs> that should be a really slow clap that builds to a massive applause. <laughs> it it definitely is. And uh, should my my plans to make it to Edinburgh for my birthday next year work out, if we find her, I will buy her a drink. <laughs> a few years ago, when Trump went to build that really tacky golf course that kicked a lot of people out of their homes, someone followed him around with a balloon that they kept rubbing against his hair. <laughs> <laughs> I will look for that picture for you. So I guess we could wrap up with a slightly less fraught topic of, uh, I went to the movies. That's the exciting thing that happened to me is I saw both X-Men and the other movie. <laughs> the other big movie of the summer that obviously made a huge impression on me. Clearly, <laughs> I don't even know which one you're talking about. <laughs> Love and Friendship, obviously. Independence yeah. Day? Love and Friendship is adorable. Isn't it? It's adorable. It's adorable. How dare you speak to me? I should have you horsewhipped. Well, of course, I would never speak that way to a stranger. Oh, no, I know him quite well. (laughs) I love the constant frets of sending Chloe Sevigny back to America. (laughs) Connecticut. There's nothing worse. (laughs) He's going to send me to Connecticut. If you haven't seen Love and Friendship, it's Whit Stillman's latest film, and it's an adaptation of the Jane Austen short novella Lady Susan. Right, which when she she was 19 and you can so tell that this is written by an angry 19 year old and I don't mean that in a bad way (laughs) I mean it's the best thing it's incredibly acidic but in the best way possible so Lady Susan is a widow played by Kate Beckinsale who really needs to secure her position in society again which involves basically manipulating everyone she knows and trying to get her daughter in on that plan, even though her daughter really just wants to run away. Yeah. It has the prettiest dresses. Oh, oh my it's god, so the costumes. Good. And Kate Beckinsale just gets to be so sharp and funny and smarter than everyone there and vaguely gay with her BFF Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, vaguely. Very vaguely. Like, if it hadn't been based on an Austen novel, I would have thought the story was leading up to her securing a fortune so that the two of them could just have a happy gay life together. So someone please write that romance novel. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a character in the story who is ostensibly betrothed to Lady Susan's daughter. And he's very sweet, but he's also the stupidest. He's so dumb. He's so dumb. He's like a human golden retriever. No, he's a human Irish setter because Irish setters are so <laughs> inbred. They get lost at the end of their leash. He's a human Irish setter who's yeah. not Irish. He's English, but whatever. It's not, it's, it's not the point. But, okay, the metaphor comes out of way. Or how many commandments there are. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. <laughs> it's, it's a movie that I guarantee there will be so many people who have taken one-liners from it and put them in their Twitter profiles. Yes. Mm. I've never seen a Whit Stillman film before, but this feels like such a great fit of material and director. Yeah. So if he wants to keep doing Austin adaptations, I'm all in favour of that. Yes. Honestly, let's just do a series where Kate Beckinsale is in all of them. I know she was already Emma. Oh, that's true. But, like, we can just keep on making Kate Beckinsale. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I think that might be my favourite movie of the year so far. Yep. Because it's just such a beautifully, joyously made, dedicated attempt at a story that not a lot of people know. 
and yeah. a genre that a lot of people are very dismissive of. Yeah. So yeah, so like I said, I also saw the Warcraft movie, and oh, <laughs> you paid money. Okay, but see, I liked it, but I could tell from the first five minutes of it that it's only for people who played the game. Uh-huh. Which is such a strange the... thing to spend, like, $200 million on. It also explains exactly why it made a bajillion million dollars in China, where most of World of Warcraft players live. Because World of Warcraft is pretty huge over there. So it makes uh-huh. so if somebody I've played World of Warcraft, so somebody who sees it is like, oh look, like if they animate but it's like watching a really long cutscene. Okay. And I also don't see how anyone who hasn't played any of the games would get anything out of it or even understand any of it. Like, Travis, this is what you you bargained your your Vikings fame into? Come on, dude. It was Paula Patton I feel sorry for. Well, I feel sorry for her on several levels, but... <laughs> <coughs> At least she got out of that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> the editing wasn't good. Like, you could tell in some cuts during action scenes, like, they weren't there the last time the cut happened, you know, on the other side of the cut. But also, I feel like the biggest geek, because when this movie came out and, you know, various online newspapers were writing reviews of it or not, they'd always say, like, adaptation of world of warcraft and i'm sitting here going like adaptation of the warcraft 2 game it's it's a generation before world of warcraft (laughs) nerd i'm such a nerd yes you are but it's why we love you (laughs) it's true we do i haven't seen the movie but i would i wanted it to do really well because i love duncan jones and he's had a really terrible year and he deserves happiness Mm -hmm. oh Uh, on the plane, on the way home, I watched uh, the first Monday in May, which is the documentary about setting up the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute exhibit of China Through the Looking Glass and preparing for the Met Gala, which happens on the first Monday of May. And it is like one of the best days to be on Twitter because we all are like, what the fuck is everybody wearing? And this is the year that Rihanna wore that gorgeous gold brocade coat and completely yeah it's fantastic and you should watch that it feels like a spiritual sequel to the september issue is it absolutely absolutely i mean i'm assuming so i haven't seen september issue yet because i'm a i'm a scrub i also watched creed which was as good as everyone said it was and it makes me super super excited for black panther I know we're late on this, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the X-Men movie is, I didn't not like it. It was kind of cliched by the numbers, like, you know, oh, Magneto has a family now, so they can die, and he will feel pain and anguish and do plot things. Ugh. Why even bother giving the characters names? Is this the film where Olivia Munn struts around Auschwitz essentially in a swimming suit? Yes. Wow, that's a tonal dissonance okay and then the magneto blows it up well sure i'm with um pop culture happier in this just listening to oscar isaac's accent and that it's very eddie redmayne and jupiter ascending mm-hmm. that's fine he's very pretty but you can't tell in the movie sansa stark is very good in it well that's good Jennifer Lawrence is obviously checked out, and I'm thinking this is Mystique. This is a character that can be literally played by anyone, but can we please bring back Rebecca Romaine? That'd be nice. 
Just put everybody out of Jennifer Lawrence's misery. She can go back to playing 35-year-old housewives. <laughs> I feel she instantly regretted signing up for that franchise once <laughs> Hunger Games became really big and she won her Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but hey, it was nice of her to play a character that was her age and not a 45-year-old housewife like David or Russell. No, 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 no. you got to remember, by this point in the X-Men, she is 40 years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, yay. She was her own age in the 60s. This movie yeah. is set in the 80s. The 80s. Ah, Hollywood ageism. They're yeah. literally now at the point where they're first class generation actors should be starting to be replaced by like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, but they're not going to be. Right. Tarzan is opening in, what, next week? Yes. Yeah. It's going to be a terrible movie. I'm going to be first in line to see it. Yeah. It looks abysmal. I'm seeing it in IMAX. <laughs> $190 million budget. Yeah. And they're trying to bury it. Yeah. Although it's... Watching Alexander Skarsgård on Colbert... Where one, he gets weepy over reminiscing yeah. about his cheat day. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. He talks about his uh, burly Swedish trainer called Magnus, because of course, taking him of- to an Italian restaurant and saying, you can have what you want. <laughs> yeah, just anything starts- you want. And he's like, I had pizza and I had tiramisu and I'm getting emotional. <laughs> oh, you're serious. Yeah. And then he, there's a bit where he's talking with Colbert about Swedish welfare state social democracy and all that and and Colbert's like but you, you have a king right <laughs> and he's like yes our king is wonderful they're watching right now I can tell our king is the best human being on the planet <laughs> he also gets Stephen Colbert to eat the uh, the fish roving yep yep that's the thing you put on on hard boiled eggs you don't really put it on flatbread crackers like you was doing that was weird but I mean I've had it it's not terrible. I mean, you, you want to use it very sparingly, but, you know, just a little bit of the, the saltiness on a hard-boiled egg is, is really quite nice. Yeah, not the amount that they were eating. They no, 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 like that was just, like, that, that was that was dudes being dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he didn't do any, undo any buttons on his shirt, like promised. Yeah, I know, it's disappointing. There is an older chat show appearance he does, I believe it's on Conan O'Brien, and he's asked about, are you comfortable being naked? And he talks about how he basically didn't see his dad wearing trousers in the house until he was about 17. (laughs) And it wasn't until him and his brothers all got together and says, look, we want to bring girls around to the house, so can you, like, put a robe on or something? So the Skarsgård household sounds amazing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, Stalin. Which explains a lot, actually. Right. Well, it, it, my tweet after seeing Thor, um, The Dark World, was, that was not the Skarsgård we wanted to see naked, but it's probably the Skarsgård we deserved. Okay, but hold up. You're telling me, you're not giving me an image of, like, Dad Stellan Skarsgård walking around the house pantsless. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Uh. I would like that movie to at least do decently at the box office, because I feel that Ascars deserves it. Mm-hmm. Of what I am very excited to see, he's making like a nice guy style buddy cop comedy drama with Michael oh. Pena. Oh. oh, and he has a terrible mustache in it. I think that's the only time they can get him to do like serious indie movies is if he has a terrible mustache in it. Yeah, pretty much. Because I haven't but... seen Diary of a Teenage Girl, but I have read the the book slash graphic novel of it. Yeah, 
Boy, that's yeah, bleak. It is bleak. It is bleak, and it, it ends on a hopeful note, though. Yeah, but um, I read an interview that the Phoebe Glaker gave, where she mm-hmm. talked about it, and she said the the actual Monroe guy uh-huh. went to see the film and just laughed hysterically at his character. Yeah. So just like, why are you still talking to this man? It's a fair question. It is a fair question. That film premiered last year at the Edinburgh Film Festival and Alexander Skarsgård went to it and I missed him. Aww. The weekend I was down there for my birthday and I couldn't find him. Aww. Not that I was like looking or anything, but you know. Of course. Nice. Yeah. I deserve that present. Definitely you do. Absolutely you do. Oh, Independence Day opened this weekend. No one cares. It's stuns me how little anyone cares for and how much Fox seemed to have realised how bad it's gone. Because mm-hmm. some of the worst movies of the year, like, you know, they got critic screenings. The critic screening for Independence Day 2 was 12 hours after the official release. Wow. Which kind of tells you everything, right? And also the projected box office is really low. Jeremy Johns, who's a YouTube movie reviewer, did a review of it, and essentially the way he reviews, I'll link the review in the notes, but the way it sounds is like, you know, we had Pitch Black, and then we had Chronicles of Riddick, and then, uh, that that's exactly the kind of comparison I got out of his review. <laughs> but, you know, we had the sci-fi movie, and it was great, we loved it, and then they made a sequel, and they're like, well, okay, we don't need any of that stuff that made it good, let's just put graphics in it. Okay, so to give you, uh, an idea of how bad it's doing. Opening weekend, it did 41.6 million. But Finding Dory did over 70 million. 73 million dollars, to be yeah. precise. Finding Dory. Which I yeah. think, in many ways, seemed like an even less anticipated sequel. Yeah. But it's Pixar. It's it's a different kind of, you know, kids will, can go see that. You can take your yeah. family and see that. I don't think anyone is rushing out with the kids to see Independence Day Resurgence. No. Except for those, you know, hardcore Jeff Goldblum fans, I guess. Hardcore Jeff Goldblum fans are just going to watch Jurassic Park again. Yeah. Which is a very serious movie about dinosaurs, and there's definitely no man titty in it at all. None. (laughs) It's been a really bizarre year for sequels to movies that made a lot of money, but that nobody really needed or wanted. Yeah. The big examples being uh, the Huntsman sequel which mm-hmm. seemed like their attempt to do Frozen and basically, you know, tanked. Oh yeah, that happened. That did happen. Right? <laughs> and I think the biggest culprit was really the Alice and Through the Looking Glass movie. I mean, why did it take so long to make the sequel to that? I understand why they made a sequel to it. It made a billion dollars. But, you know, strike while the iron is hot. Don't wait. I think they waited like six years. Well, they had to wait and see who Johnny Depp would choose in the divorce. I don't think, you know, he doesn't even deserve a chuckle. Fuck him. And poor Liam Hemsworth. He was hoping so much not to be the other Hemsworth anymore. Mm. He will always be the other Hemsworth. Right. I mean, even at this point in time, Chris Hemsworth is on the verge of becoming the other Hemsworth. Right. right he might save himself, though, with uh, Ghostbusters. I feel like he should just do more comedies, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Like, no offense to him, but he's not a great kind of A-list dramatic presence. No. Yeah, he was great. He's great as Thor because, like, in Thor 1, that, that role was goofy. That fish out of water, looking yeah. at him being weird and Viking. 
in modern day America. He also had a great supporting cast around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if you try to put him in the lead, or he's got to kind of carry the project, I'm not necessarily sure he can do it. No offense to him, you know. It's a t- it's tough being Chris in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You turn around and just Evans is waiting. Or probably Pratt, actually. Well, maybe Pine. Pine has grown on me. I really liked him in Into the Woods, even though I don't necessarily mm-hmm. love that movie. Uh, is the Star Trek sequel this year? Yep. Yes. Oh, God. That's going to be really sad. I forgot uh, about that, too. Star Trek Vulcan Drift. Whatever we're calling it. <laughs> Whatever other fast and lazy Fast and Furious joke you want to throw in there. That's another movie <laughs> they seem to be burying, which is really strange to me. Hmm. Just given that it is the year of the anniversary and there is another TV show in the works, you'd think that there would have been a little more, you know, hoopla around it. Brian Fuller's TV show, so American Gods and his Star Trek, are just like my only reasons for joy at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm just, every time they announce someone in the American Gods TV show, I'm just like, oh, you're so perfect. Right. <laughs> There's still some good in the world. I know, right, but when they announced Orlando Jones was going to be Mr. Nancy, I was just like, Troll, lol, lol, lol. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And he had clearly he'd been trolling people on that very issue for just days beforehand. He is a delight, and we do not deserve him. No Lee Pace yet, but also they, there's a lot of characters to cast in that show. Yep. Hannibal, I believe, won the Saturn Award again. It did. And Richard Armitage won Best Supporting Actor the Saturns. At least someone appreciated the show. Yep. And uh, Hamilton won at the Tonys. Did it really? Oh, I didn't hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) It it won a couple of Tonys. Just a couple. You know. Eleven. Eleven. It won in every category it was nominated for except leading actress in a musical. Sorry, Philippa Sue. No, also, um, I think it was scene design. It didn't win that either. Okay, so they're fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and... I think no one is angry about the best leading actress in a musical either. Yeah. It was such a fascinating year as well for Broadway. Mm-hmm. Cause you can get some years, you can go through like the Tony Award nominees over the years, especially for something like Best Musical. And there are some years where it's just bleak. You know, very famously, the year that uh, the Sunset Boulevard musical won, there was only one other nomination. Mm-hmm. In that category. But this was a year where I think you could have filled out the category, you know, any number of ways. Yeah. And the same for revival and the plays and all the acting categories. It just felt like a much more interesting year, which is good because you want that choice. I think everyone was a little pissed off that they knew they weren't going to win anything because Hamilton had it locked down. Yeah. But it's a good opportunity to promote your show, at least. And most of them seem to be doing reasonably okay. Yeah. Shuffle Along is closing and they've given a really bullshit reason for it. Mm. Don't blame your leading lady getting pregnant on it, okay? No. Come on. Come on. Also, that is going to be the most attractive child. Oh, yeah. Oh, you my God. He's hot. <laughs> you know, you're talking about people and you haven't mentioned a single name. Some of our listeners might be confused. Also, one of your co-hosts. Okay. Audrey okay. McDonald is pregnant. She is the leading. Yeah. At, she is the lead in Shuffle Along, and she is pregnant. She's and... one 
the Tony Award six times more than yep. any other actor actress. And she clearly had a blast doing carpool karaoke with Corden, which is adorable. And she her... has the most incredible voice. She does. And her husband is Will, Will Swenson. Will Swenson, who is super hot, super talented, and a baby's going to be super cute. <laughs> yeah, they've been together for a number of years, and there's some fabulous gossip about the pair of them before they officially got together, which, you know, go raid the Broadway World forums for that. <laughs> uh, but he used to be an actor in the Mormon cinema scene. And then left the church and became a, you know, sordid Broadway actor and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and Hare. And the two of them are now going to go off and have adorable children. So, mm-hmm. exciting. But Shuffle Along announced its closing date a couple of days ago. Even though it's pulling in about a million dollars a week. And the excuse they gave was it wouldn't be emo- economically viable for them to keep doing the show while she was on maternity leave. Which I have questions about. Because um, they previously announced that she was going to be replaced for the few months that she was off, you know, being pregnant and having a child. And they had someone announced it was going to replace her and everything. And then they suddenly went, well, it's actually not going to, you know, do very well without mm-hmm. her. Which I question because she's a huge Broadway star, but she's not that huge outside of Broadway. Right. This isn't like Kristen Chenoweth, who I think you could call a legitimate crossover star. Mm-hmm. That just seemed really strange to me. But they were also in, a, like, every other musical, I think, that got nominated this year for Best Musical, they didn't really win any other awards. I don't think they won any at all. There was um, School of Rock, which didn't win anything. Waitress, which I hear is really good. I've heard really great things about it. Yeah, I'm not a Sarah Barriels fan at all, but from what I've heard of her music, it's really, really well done. She actually puts together a story and doesn't just write songs. Right. It did its previews here at the American Repertory Theater in Boston. And word on the street was very positive. I didn't get a chance to see it. Well, that one is still going. So if you yep. want to go see that, you can see it. It's going to be doing a tour next year, for if you'd rather just wait. Mm. School of Rock is still going. Bright Star, which was Steve Martin's bluegrass musical. Yeah. Um, yep. That's announced its closing date. <laughs> So it's a tough market. I mean, 75% of all Broadway shows don't even break even. Yeah. And the average cost to put on a musical now is about 12 to $15 million. So, you know, American Psycho closed after a month. Tuck Everlasting closed after even less. You, know, you either get the buzz straight out the gate or you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the way to make a, a small fortune in Broadway is the same way you make a small fortune in horseback racing. You start with a large fortune. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to go see Hamilton and you don't have, you know, $900, which I believe is now their premium pricing. Or uh, $10,000 is what the tickets, resale ticket value for Lin-Manuel's final performance is going for. Just such bullshit, isn't it? Yes. This is what's really sad to me, is Hamilton is an incredible piece of work, and what it has done is opened up Broadway to a whole new audience and made it a much less elitist activity, and the way that they're dealing with that is by putting premium price seats up from, like, $100 onwards. I mean, yeah, you can enter the lottery and things, but if you want, like, a guaranteed seat, it's become more like a status symbol than anything else. Yeah. 
It's more, you know, hey, let's see how many more celebrities we can get pictures with backstage. Yeah. Which just feels so detrimental to the real joys of theater to me. Speaking of uh, Hamilton, did they say they were going to do an original cast, uh, like DVD? They are filming the original cast before Lynn and Philippa. Philippa is also leaving on July 9th. They are filming that the original cast, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen with that recording and when the plebs will be able to see it. It won't be with Jonathan Groff, right? No, he will be coming back for it. Oh, he'll be yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the entire original cast, right? Yeah. To me, like, there is <clears throat> nothing for them to lose by filming it and putting it on, like, PBS or something. Because no, people will watch that, but like, they'll still go see it. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if they wait for it to leave Broadway, we could be waiting decade plus. This show has the staying power to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I knew when I got my ticket that there was like a 99.999% chance that a number of the original cast will have left by the time I see it. And I you know, already came to terms with that. I mean, I managed to score a pretty decent seat for $200, which was then paid back to me because that was my Christmas present for my parents. But yeah, that is the same amount that I paid for a premium seat two rows from the stage for Dangerous Liaisons. And that was before they jacked up the prices too. So the premium seats at that point were 477 before fees. And now they're much more... Is Dangerous Liaisons a limited run? It's a limited run. It's the Donmore Warehouse is doing it. Yeah. That's the thing as well, is this is one of the ways that you can kind of guarantee to make money on Broadway. Put a show on for 16 or 20 weeks, put in stars that most people will be able to recognize, Mm -hmm. and then charge $125 upwards for seats. Even if it's behind like a pillar or something. Yeah. I mean, it has worked. That's why Scott Rudin, who's also, you know, the notoriously hard-ass film producer, has done so well on Broadway where Harvey Weinstein has not. Mm -hmm. Because all he has to do is, like, get, hey, Daniel Craig and Rachel Weisz, do you guys want to play a husband and wife in a pinter play for 16 weeks and you'll make a lot of money and so will I? And people will pay. It's essentially critic-proof. Yep. And you will probably, because you're, you know, famous film actors, get a Tony nomination out of it. Maybe not, not always. Broadway not always, runs but... bizarrely hot and cold with like major actors coming to Broadway. Yeah, there are some years where they're all that's there, and then there are other ones where it's like, well, maybe we should nominate people who have been here for like thirty years, right? Or you end up with four famous film actors, and then some, you know, rando kid named James Corden, and that's how he gets a Tony. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with him being a huge star in America, by the way. It's weird. I like him. He's like a way less coked up version of Jimmy Fallon. Yes. That's why I like him. Allegedly. (laughs) I mean, he just seems so, like, genuinely thrilled to be able to do what he's doing. I think he's thrilled to be doing it for an audience that doesn't hate him. (laughs) People in Britain are really sick of him. And I will admit that his opening number at the Tonys did make me a little bit a little bit emotional. I think he did a very good job hosting that. And I think also Neil Patrick Harris fatigue helped. Oh, definitely. He so weird without hair. Yeah. I know it's because he's doing a series of unfortunate events, but there was a moment of just like, 
Ooh, dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think definitely with um, the Orlando shootings happening that morning, that Neil Patrick Harris would have would have set the absolute wrong tone. <laughs> Whether it's intentional or not, I don't think it would have worked at all. What is with that variety show he did with NBC? I've already forgotten that happened. Because <laughs> Extra Hot Great, the podcast of Previously.TV, would occasionally talk about it. And it's like, okay, I know that this is a remake of a British show that I've seen, but I've still no idea what the hell is going on. Like, is it just me or does it feel like that fiasco at the Oscars killed his career? Oh, I think it put a dent in it, certainly. It certainly put a dent in his hosting career. Which in a way I sympathize with because hosting the Oscars is one of the most thankless jobs in entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, even some of the greats feel John Stewart got slated when he did it. Even though I actually thought he was pretty good. Yeah. Well, like, you can't do a good job with that. It's not possible. Yeah. But I think he has tried to, he's kind of trying to, to fix that a little bit with his mm-hmm. reputation because if he's going to be doing a series of unfortunate events, that feels like a really good direction for him to go. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's a weird thing, late night American TV right now, because there's so much more choice than there used to be. And it is like 5% marginally more diverse. Mm-hmm. Which has made a bit of a difference, but there is at least interesting stuff to watch. Yeah. And Sam B is a treasure and we don't deserve her, but God, do we need her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are we ready to wrap this up? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, show notes will include pictures from Sweden. Yeah. Links to various democratic fa- fuckery. Yeah. Sorted. Would you like a Skarsgård picture? I can yeah. send one. <laughs> Five or six. Kaylee will curate <laughs> <laughs> the pictures of Alexander's. It's a hard job, but somebody has to do it. Hey, yo. And, and pick the prettiest <laughs> picture of the abs. And other things. Oh, I've got that picture as well. I think yeah. I better not put up the safe. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that, that we need to include the Adonis belt. It's a special request for me. I, I will try and comply. It's a difficult task I'm setting you, but I, I feel like you're you're up for it. And we'll see everyone back next month. Bye. Bye. And... You have been listening to Anglophies, a Made of Fail production. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my dad's just come in. Hi. Is it wait to her service, is it? Hi, Kaylee's dad. Tip! Hi, Kaylee's dad. Did you see dad. the value of the pound? I don't have any money to give you. 